Wonderful. Well, I'm Rob. Welcome here, everybody. And it is the last message of Love Month. As a church, we're working through the fruit of the Spirit. And for one reason or another, we decided, or I decided, that February would be devoted to the fruit of love, which is really the big one. When we get that list of what the fruit of the Spirit is, the fruit of the Spirit, the big one, is love. It's the first one. When Jesus is talking, somebody, somebody quizzed Jesus, and they asked him what the most important commandment was, and he said it was to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself, which both involve love. Uh, love kind of makes life worth living, and the life without love is, most people find pretty discouraging or depressing. Um, and does anybody want to go to heaven when they die? Okay, and if you found out that there would be no love there, would you still want to go? It's not heaven. The first thing that makes heaven heaven is that everyone's going to love each other, for real and forever. And uh, it's kind of the big thing. People will kill for love. People will die for love. People will sell all they've got for love. And so here we are. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And, you know, this is the last one. I'll probably never talk about love again from the pulpit. And uh, so I want to make this count. You know what I mean? And we're going to talk about um, loving your enemies today. The title's called Love Your Enemies Because Who Else Is There to Love? Ultimately, if you think about it. But I've really had a lot of fear and trepidation in working towards this one. I, I don't find love easy. Um, if there's any topic I'm going to be talking about where I, I feel quite like a cripple come to the table, it would be about love. I even one time in a message, as I was saying things that I hadn't thought about before, as I am often want to do, um, I'd actually even said, like, I hate love. It's so dangerous. It's so costly. It's so vulnerable. It's so easily rejected. It's so woundable. It's so demanding. It's so powerful. It's so compelling. It's so enslaving. It's so huge. It's so everywhere. It's so hard to find. I hate love. And a couple people understood and a couple people wondered about my salvation and um, But we're talking about loving your enemies today, and I think one of the reasons I feel like there's such an unmeetable compulsion to make this a good message is because loving your enemy is part of the miracle of God. That he would love people who initially don't love him at all, or love him back and then would keep on loving us with everything he's got, even though daily we would give him reasons to not love us anymore. It's such a miracle that God would love his enemies. So I'm, I'm a very small World War II buff um, physically, but mentally also a small World War II buff. <laughs> gotcha. And... But, 
Yeah, thank you. I, I'll take it. Any, I do, I do like studying World War II, and I did hear a story recently that I'd never heard before. Now, I'm not sure everyone's involvement in liking World War II stuff. When I was a teenager and a young adult, that was like the heyday of World War II movies. Um, Steven Spielberg had invented this new way of doing war scenes that was really epitomized in Saving Private Ryan. Did every, anybody see that movie? It changed how they filmed war scenes with like all the bullets hitting and the, the body parts exploding right in front of you. And, and then there was this whole heyday of people making Saving Private Ryan World War II movie um, spin-offs and imitations and stuff. And so it was in our collective conscience in the, in the West quite a bit, World War II stuff. Not so much anymore. Um, in our culture nowadays, we don't actually like remembering the past. It makes it easier to uh, convince people to repeat the mistakes of the past if they don't get educated about the mistakes of the past. But if you remember, one of the... For our friends in the South, the big moment that changed everything for the United States was an event named after a place in Hawaii called Pearl Harbor. And the United States had technically stayed out of World War II where all the stuff was happening in Europe with the Nazis and all the stuff was happening in Asia between Japan and China and Russia. They had officially kind of stayed out of this, even though they were doing some under-the-table supplying of arms for Britain to try to help them. Kind of like Ukraine, but more secretive, where they would just send money and stuff to the Allies, to Britain, to keep them afloat. Um, but then, on a certain date, and I don't have it memorized, um, Japan launched a sneak attack against the U.S. naval base um, at Pearl Harbor and sank a number of ships and killed a number of people. And they, they, I think, you know, I've, there's different, people ask the question, why would you do that if the U.S. wasn't at war with you? And there was something about maybe a sneak attack that would take the U.S. Maybe they were afraid of the U.S. eventually entering the war. Maybe a sneak attack would knock them out and give them some time to expand in the Pacific and get a better um, stronghold there. Um, somebody asked one of the Japanese generals at one point, did you think you would maybe invade the U.S. And, and take over there, and they're like, are you nuts? There are more guns than people in the United States. You cannot hold the United States. There would be bullets flying at you from every bush and every window and every rooftop, and it's like, true, there are more guns in the U.S. than there are Americans. Did you know that? And the whole point is, you can never invade us. And there's costs, there's just like people shooting each other all the time, but no one can ever actually invade the United States and keep it because there are more guns in the United States than people. Anyhow, Pearl Harbor happened and they awakened a beast and, uh, which finally culminated with Oppenheimer and the dropping of two nuclear bombs on Japan. Anyhow, this story that I'd never heard before is that one of the pilots that was involved in the Pearl Harbor attack actually ended up becoming a Christian evangelist. So for, through a variety of reasons, he got taken out of specific battles as a pilot that would have required him to become a kamikaze and kill himself in battle by flying his plane into something. He kept getting moved around and missing all the action. He got moved out of one of the cities before the nuke dropped. I think what happens is he actually said he got sent into one of those cities after the nuke dropped and was one of the only people to survive the radiation. But he became a prisoner of war, and he had such a big hatred in his heart against the United States. And uh, 
But it changed when he met a fellow prisoner of war who told him about the kindness of one of the women working in one of these POW camps who actually took care of this friend as a prisoner of war. And the thing that he couldn't wrap his mind around, the guy I'm talking about, is that this lady had actually had both of her parents killed by the Japanese in the Philippines, but she was still taking care of the enemy who had killed her parents because she was a Christian. And to his mindset, that's not what you do. If you've got the enemy, you can do anything you want to them because you've won. And they're your prisoner. If you want to torture them, you can torture them. That's normal to torture them, to kill them. That's normal. That's normal. That's normal. But showing kindness to the enemy who killed your parents is not normal. And it broke how he thought the world worked. And eventually he gave his life to Jesus and became an evangelist for Jesus. Because he had an experience of someone actually loving their enemy. It's not normal to do this. Even if you grew up in Sunday school and so you've heard Jesus' teaching about loving your enemy, it's just, you may be familiar with it, but it is not normal. It's not how the human heart works. And when it's happening, it is a sign that probably someone has been raised from the dead. Let's read the teachings of Jesus together. This is from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, pause. This is your moment. You get to decide if you're going to be someone who hears or not. Ready? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, in the ESV translation, which I'm using, it says abuse you, but that word has become so um, specialized since I think this translation came out that I used an alternate translation of that word there. So just so you know, if you're following along in your ESV, that's why I changed it, but it is a legitimate translation of that word. Verse 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Or more, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Father God, I just pray for your help. I pray for just grace to do a good job talking about the words of Christ today. And I pray for the miracle of the Holy Spirit that you would empower us to take steps in Christ to become a people who can love their enemies in a way that is the miracle of the gospel. In Jesus' name I ask, and amen.
as I was preparing for this message, I, I do wonder if this is going to be a bit of a turning point message for the church, because I, I just think, I'm not sure Steinbeck is the best at this. And I'm not saying that with any judgment. I'm just, I'm not sure we're the best at this. One of the dynamics of being a Christian amongst Christians is that you can actually increase your expectations for how other people should treat you. Beyond normal, right? You get a nice secular job, you're just hanging out with truckers all the time, and you don't mind how they talk at all. Because there are words that begin with certain letters that just are just not necessary, but they're all the time. But then you come to church, and your expectations of how everyone should talk changes. True fact? And you're not necessarily wrong. But as you spend time amongst Christians, your expectations for how other people should treat you, and then if they don't act like that, you can get offended, it actually just keeps getting higher and higher and higher, doesn't it? And so it can actually be easier to not love your enemies the more density of faith there is in a community. Because shouldn't we all, how could a, how could a, and maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but I think we can get in the habit of forgetting um, one of the commandments of Jesus. And I just wonder if in this next season of life in Calvary Church, God is calling us to intentionally become better and better and better at loving our enemies as being the miracle we want God to do in our midst. Miracles are great. If you need a provision and all of a sudden that Bitcoin goes up to a million and there's a bit of a bit in your name and all of a sudden all your financial problems, I am for that. If you've got a pain that won't go away and all of a sudden you wake up and you can't even remember where it was anymore, I am for that. But there is this miracle of having a genuine concern for someone that hates you that is not something we ask for that often but is a fruit of the Holy Spirit that is meant to be alive in the church of God. And I have neglected this. And I wonder if the Father's delight for us next is to do this in our midst so that people who go to war to kill would look and say, that ain't normal. What's going on? I could be wrong. It's happened once before. Now, one of the things is I just think about how Jesus is thinking here is it's easy for me when Jesus says, love your enemies, that I will get stuck thinking about the big things like war and violence and guns and crime. But when Jesus is talking about loving your enemies, It's really interesting because he goes from the big, love your enemies, right down to, yeah, someone slapped you and another person took took your shoes out of your office. Or you left your coat in the front thing there and then someone took your nice coat and they left behind the bad coat. Now you got this junk coat. That's not for real. I just made that up. Yeah, don't feel bad for me about that. That's good. Do you cry at movies? Just kidding. Um, He shrinks it down to just regular, everyday slights and wounds and 
thoughtlessness is and being done hard by other people's just petty selfishnesses. Wow. Right off the bat. He even includes giving to everyone who begs from you in the teaching of learning to love your enemy. Because if someone begs from you, it's awkward and you don't know what to give. And that five bucks was supposed to get turned into a Subway sandwich. And now your friends are there and you don't know. And, and then you're just in this inner turmoil of because they're begging. And do I want to be a good person? But I want that Subway sandwich. And that's just daily grind awkwardnesses of life lumped into learning how to love people who inconvenience you. Strange, no? So I wonder for me and maybe for you too, there is part of this where I just want it to be both the big stuff of the like official huge enemies of God and man who love to do evil and end the lives of the weak and vulnerable, as well as just the tiny little, that toilet seat is up again, <laughs> type stuff. Well, let's think about what it means to have an enemy. Aspects of an enemy. This will help us, I hope. One aspect of an enemy is typically they're doing something we would consider maybe morally evil. Now, we're Christians and we know that our lives and our hearts and our minds are tainted by the fall, are broken by sin. So usually our moral compass is kind of wonky. Sometimes it gets jarred a little bit, the needle gets bent, and even sometimes what we think is right is actually wrong. That's why we need scripture. God in his Bible has communicated us a true moral compass. He's told us who he is. He's told us who we are. And it is his official, official version of what's right and wrong. But usually when you have an enemy, you think they're doing bad things. How could they do that? That's evil. Sometimes you can have an enemy just because there's opposing aims. This is one of our favorite parenting verses. is from the book of James. I'm going to butcher the recitation a little bit, but it's something like, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Do you guys have it memorized yet? Isn't it because you want the same thing and so you have to fight over it? There's only one maple donut left and you both hate it but your parents want you to eat it. Whatever. Opposing aims. You both want the same thing or you, you want, need to work together, but you want opposite things. You want the carpet in the church to be this awesome mottled gray thing? No, it has to be solid dusty rose. <laughs> mottled gray, dusty rose, mottled gray, dusty rose. Are you even a Christian? I was a Christian before you were even born. Yeah, but I was reborn before you were born. <laughs> Simple opposing aims can turn a regular person into our enemy. I want something, and I don't think I'm going to get it, and it's all your fault. Something that can make someone an enemy is just the threat of pain. The threat of harm. This can make anything our enemy. The threat of pain, the threat of harm. This is kind of what makes... It says 111. On my slides, it says 123. 
What I'm trying to communicate here, which I didn't know, is that all of these could be your number one problem with your enemy. <laughs> yeah. I'm just up here. Saving. Very funny. Oh, golly. I'm bringing golly back, by the way, young people. Let's bring golly back. It's, you'll, it's Google it. Um, the threat of pain. And any, you might even decide which one of these things gets under your skin the most. Are you a justice type? And when it seems like someone is doing something wrong, you just, you just hate them. And it seems like if a Christian or a church is doing something wrong, you just can't believe God has not thundered down on them with sulfur. Maybe you're just really strong-willed, and anybody who kind of gets in the way of you just getting that donut or getting that nap, just, maybe you're really sensitive to pain. And you're like pretty easygoing about life. You know, opposing aims, that sounds like wanting something. Why would I want something? Yeah, just I'm just chill. But you don't like pain. And so the idea of having a painful situation or a hard conversation just drives you crazy. These are aspects of having an enemy. Can you identify which one of you kind of like is the most likely to make somebody go into your enemy book? Well, maybe all three of those are functioning at the same time. Well, normal responses to having an enemy in the flesh are these kinds of things. To moral evil, we hate it. Or we get offended at it. But the danger is that we can actually get really self-righteous because of it. Again, these are all number one problems. Opposing aims... We can think that just because other people have different desires that we need to start fighting about it. We need to get into conflict about it. We need to struggle with them. And we can get into this problem of just being like, my whole life is about asserting myself. We can forget how to be a servant. The threat of pain, we can get really defensive. We can slide into despair. Or we can make our whole life about self-preservation. Avoiding this and avoiding that and avoiding this. and Which one of these things do you think is your greatest temptation as a follower of Jesus to fall into when you're thinking about or dealing with a quote-unquote enemy? For me, it's probably self-preservation. Now here's the trick, if you think about it, between moral evil and opposing aims and the threat of pain, someday almost everyone you know might feel like your enemy. A child that won't sleep might feel like your enemy. A spouse that won't listen to you might feel like your enemy. A church that doesn't see that you're hurting might feel like your enemy. Somebody who's wobbly in their theology might feel like your enemy. Is it just me? Yes, we'll say yes. Yes. I'm so sorry you ended up with me as as your leader. And I'm kind of confessing that all of you might someday feel like an enemy to me. 
depending on how things go. So really, like, help me out here. Just do what I want. <laughs> That's the message right there. Now, I've, I've done the whole thing. You, now you understand. But isn't it true, a parent, a spouse, a child, a neighbor, a leader, a follower, a country, even God himself may feel like an enemy when you don't understand his ways and what he's letting happen seems to be opposing what you need or when he's allowing in a pain of some kind that you just don't want to experience. Well, why in the world would God ever allow the sensation of thinking you have an enemy? Number one, these are all number ones. This joke is not going to get bad. or It's actually provided a little sense of levity in the midst of a really serious topic. Um, number one, enemies remind us of God's love for us. Christian, when you feel... Like you just can't stand someone. We are feeling what God could have let lead him to never saving us. In Romans chapter 5, it literally said, while we were yet sinners, while we were God's enemies, that's when Christ died for us. And I remember those days. I'm sorry, I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again, I'm sure. I knew when I went to Grandpa's house for dinner, he was going to tell me that story about the time he took the little cap off of his BB gun and shot his dad in the head with it and knocked him out. He shared it every time. This is my every time story. I remember hearing about God. I remember hearing that he was a holy God that cared about right and wrong and that people needed to be forgiven. And I remember feeling such dread that that might be true that I wished it weren't real. Which is just like wishing God didn't exist. Which is just like wishing you could have participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. Which is just like wanting God to be dead. And God knew it. He knew that I hoped his son stayed dead on the cross so that I could get away with my sins. I hated him. I thought he was my enemy. And I treated him as someone who deserved to be his enemy. But God, in his love, kept pursuing me, being patient with me, and one day explaining that the good news about realizing you're a sinner is that you might begin to treasure one day getting a Savior. Finding out that someone could get you that forgiveness you need and vouchsafe for you that unlimited love you could never deserve. Amen. Amen. All the love I'll ever get from God is enemy love. Forever, 
All the love I'll ever get from God is love for a man who chose and willed to be an enemy of God for a time. And this is what we mean by saved by grace. When we write it on our little coffee cups and when we quote it to each other, you're saved by grace. This is what we mean. He chose to love an enemy as a child forever. And he loves us so well that we can honestly forget how it all started. Does anybody ever forget? You just feel, I'm a child. I'm a child, I'm a child, I'm a child. Big band worship. We're children. It's just good. And we can just utterly forget it was all bought by blood. It was all bought by shed blood for people who earned the opposite of what you get. So enemies, when we go, I hate that guy. (laughs) You can then go, wow. Without God's grace, that's how I would feel about Jesus. And God had the right to feel that way about me. And you can read your Old Testament, and you can read stories about times where God didn't intervene. Like with Pharaoh, where Pharaoh started hardening his heart, and God let him do it, and then God kept on letting that harden happen until Pharaoh was completely destroyed. Enemies remind us of our need for God. What I mean by this is that um, when you're in the struggles with an enemy... um, We usually, once we wake up, don't feel like we're the best Christians. When we're angry, when we're frustrated, when we're hurt, wanting to hide and wanting to run, most people, when they're like really in the grind with an enemy, don't feel like this is their most spiritual day ever. Just me? No? You know, like, I get so frustrated with that person, I just wish that, you know, one of Elon Musk's rockets would malfunction over their house. And then you go, oh, I still need the Holy Spirit to change my heart. I still need him to give me his love. I still need him to train me, forgive me, show me the way. I still need God. When everything's easy, we just forget about God. When you can buy everything you think you, you need, you forget about God. When, when, you, when you're only surrounded by friends... We can forget about God. But the struggle and the conflict and the grinding and the uglies coming out of our heart reminds us of the goodness of God. And we we start praying. And number three, that joke is old. Number three, enemies remind us of the mission of God. Every person that you feel like is someone who's rejecting God is kind of our mission field. Ah, it's mirror time. When you read the news, you're like, man, that guy's a bad guy. Oh, he needs the gospel. That country's going off the rails. Oh, I might be getting called to missions there. 
When God wanted to pick somebody to write half the New Testament to show that the mission was to go and gather enemies, he picked Saul, the church persecutor, who hated Christians and hated the way and hated the name of Jesus. And he grabbed him and said, now you're going to go to all those people that my people think I hate, the Gentiles, and you're going to go and lead them to me because the mission of the church right now is to go and love her enemies into life. Now you know why I didn't want to preach this message. The mission of the church is to look at the people we can't stand and remind ourselves that God wants them. And maybe even loves them. And maybe even has a call that will be more powerful than the one that's on our lives. It's kind of crazy how Muslim imams become these great evangelists when they get saved. They just get online and say all the stuff we're too afraid to say. I don't know what it is. It's crazy. So there is this world full of enemies. Sometimes it's your oven that can't do regular bake anymore. Sometimes it's that those people on your drive to work where there's two lanes and they keep slowing down to stay in pace with each other so that you're doing 55 in an 80 zone towards the town. I'm no, well, hey, hey man, I'm, go- I'm no names, no names, no names. This is hypothetical, hypothetical, completely hypothetical. Uh, sometimes it's a brother or sister and a major moral failure. Sometimes it's a movement in your church culturally where genuine evil is being called good and necessary. But we're called to learn to love our enemies in wise ways. And so Jesus taught us specifically what to do. Excuse me. And he laid before us this reason to do it. You will be sons of the Most High. Now I know theologically we're all sons and daughters just by adoption. But when Jesus thinks about this, he's, I think, I could be wrong, but I think what he's thinking is this. Um, I've been, I, I've, I've said yes to the mission from, even though I'm a king, I'm giving that up to be a servant. Even though I'm the source of life, I'm giving that up to be, to die for sinners. And even though I'm perfectly righteous, I'm giving that up to die as a sinner under the curse. Humility, 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 humility. And when I'm done and I'm raised from the dead, everyone will say, this is the son of the most high God who loves his enemies. And then we get adopted into the kingdom. But Jesus says, still, when you're living like this, then you'll really be sons and daughters of the most high God. Like me. Because this is how I lived, just doing what the Father wanted me to do. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Just read that. He is kind to the evil. So Jesus gives us four things to do. Number one, pray for those who mistreat you. 
This is probably the easiest one to do because you can do it in your own time, in your own way, without having to interact with the situation. But sometimes you can start to try and it just won't come out. You know at that time, hey, you're hurt or offended. And then so your prayers, our prayers, my prayers can start with, Jesus, I am really hurt. God, I am actually really offended about this. Please help. Uh, When the enemy zone is hitting, this is when we need God the most. So Jesus says, get with God. Talk to him. Often one of the first things we do when things go wrong is actually spiritually isolate ourselves. Second thing he does is he says, bless those who curse you. So this is where we're practicing in our hearts actually wanting good for someone who wants bad for us. You can speak it out in prayer. Um, It would probably be good to avoid the social awkwardness of going up to someone and saying, man, I just can't stand you. Can I pray blessings over you? There is a social intelligence that's probably needed for something like this that isn't like that. But there is something about the heart getting free where you try to pray for good things for someone who seems like or maybe even really is an enemy. This is real. Someone trying to curse you. May God strike you. May my gods destroy you. May bad, bad things happen to you. And you're just keeping the shield of faith up going, no, may the Lord bless you. May he forgive you. May he open your eyes. May he take care of you. May you live and not die. Thought number three is do good for those who hate you. There is some wisdom for this. Again, you don't want to like necessarily show up with those Subway sandwiches with somebody and say like, yeah, this is, I'm, I really don't like you, so here's some subs. Because the person's going to be looking through it for the X-lax pills or whatever it is. Don't do that because I made a joke about it. But there is something about growing to be like God where you're like, I actually want to be free enough to make things better in a bad situation. Um, This is one of the big freedoms of being a Christian is not being controlled by the bad will of an enemy. I haven't found a ton of success in this, but I see that it's real. When the enemies are at work, they actually want to control you and enslave you with their mistreatment. And Jesus is trying to teach the way for us to stay free so that we're controlled by the Spirit and free in Jesus. So you pray and you bless to try to keep your heart like God's heart. And you do good. Now there are some parameters to this. You can't do good to those who hate you by sinning or by lying or by adopting bad theology. Um... There are some boundaries. And sometimes even when a bad situation is bad, you know, Jesus talks about turning your other cheek if someone strikes you. That's one teaching you can do that just by being patient. Um, But he does elsewhere say, hey, if people are persecuting you, you can flee to another city. So there is a time for distance um, when things aren't working out, maybe letting things cool down. But he says, like, hey, if you want to be like God... Ask him for an idea of something good to do. And number four, try to love your enemies. 
And I, I think as a miracle of the Spirit, you know you won't be able to do it with your own heart. Right? Has anybody seen enough evidence in our own hearts? It's, it's not going to happen next time. It didn't happen the last time. It's not going to happen next time unless the Holy Spirit does something in my heart. So we seek Him. Pray, bless, do good, love. For the little enemies, which are kind of just the daily annoyances that counter our will. And some of the big enemies that seem to be like they're right on the cusp of taking over the world with an evil empire. And everything in between. That you may be sons of the Most High God. I can invite the band to come up. I think it would be really good if you feel stuck at all. Now would be a good Sunday to get prayer. There's a prayer team that they're going to come up here. They'll have the tags. If you're stuck, if you're frustrated, if you're in bondage to something, why don't you come and get prayer? You don't necessarily need to have a big confession. You can just come up here and get prayer. But just coming to the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm stuck. The feelings keep coming back. I'm just here for you to do the miracle. I think that would be good. So, Father God, I give you Calvary. I do wonder if your Father's heart for us is to empower us to do loving our enemies. For real. Lord, you know I can't even stand up when it comes to this command let alone run in it. Would you please work in my heart and mind to do this? Lord, would you help us together? Would you help us together to get our hearts free? Lord, some of us will need situations where you'll make, where you make a coincidence happen, where it's like, oh, okay, this is something you want me to take action on. And I pray for those God moments where there's a run-in or there's an event or something happens where we realize, okay, this is now to the top of my to-do list spiritually. And I pray in those moments, Lord, we feel your love. You're a good father and you want good things for your children. Father, I pray that we'd have confidence just to persevere in a hard season knowing you're growing our character, you're forming Christ in us. And you can use these hard seasons to really expand the kingdom to see people saved and to bring about testimonies where people can say, that's not normal. What is going on here? Lord, I pray you grant us just such humility to get on our knees before you again and say, like, we just need you, Jesus. And Lord, I do pray that the fruit of this would be us knowing the depths of your love for each one of us as your children. Lord, that we be freed from the hard heart that comes with with hatred and hurt. That our hearts would be softer and softer and softer to you and to other people. And that you would really do this miracle. In Jesus' name.